My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicious. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. Prophecy. Should we get started? Let's get started. Talk about the prophecy? What was the prophecy? <laughs> the one part of my prediction that I'm proud of is there is no prophecy. There is no prophecy. <laughs> Good job, me. Not even a little bit. No. Not even sort of a prophecy. It's just not a thing that was ever going to happen. I've given up on these titles. <laughs> So really, you were the prophecy. You were the prophet. Yes. Your prediction was the prophecy. Now, there's no basis for this, but I wonder if, like, maybe the ghostwriter included some kind of prophecy and it was just <laughs> torn out at the last minute. I would believe there was something torn out at the last minute of this book. <laughs> there are a few things that seem like they maybe got cut at the last minute, but not entirely cut. Not really replaced. They, yeah. Yeah. What did you think of it overall? I, I liked seeing Aldrea again. I really like the Hork-Bajir Chronicles, um, and one of the reasons I like them is that Aldrea is such an unsympathetic character, mm-hmm. and it was kind of nice to see her again being just as unsympathetic <laughs> as ever. Yeah, um, I really got it right. Yeah, this was a really good characterization of her, and there are some great sci-fi, Star Wars-y moments. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's sort of a fun romp. It's not overly meaningful, I think, in the arc of the Animorphs, but yeah, good. Fine, you said. Well, so admittedly, I read the entire book this morning, so <laughs> my opinion It's only 10.30 a.m. for context. <laughs> it's fresh in your mind. It's, it's certainly fresh in my mind, <laughs> but I agree with you. I love Aldrea. She's so fun to dislike. I really like the whole idea of the brain ghost thing mm. we can get into, like... It's a really fun sci-fi premise. I like that they explore it. And I also like that it's it's a hork Chronicles redux that involves the rest of the Animorphs. Yeah. So now I sort of feel like, you know, I know Tobias heard the story or whatever, but it, it feels like they now have a sense of all the stuff that we have yeah. a sense of as readers. Mm-hmm. So that's all really cool. I thought that everything in the book that happens once they get to the hork home homeworld was completely bananas and pointless. <laughs> and... There are like a couple of good things about it, but you know, I don't know. I wish that they had gone somewhere more with the Aldrea Cassie thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure I completely agree with that assessment. There were a lot of things that I liked in this. There were also a lot of things that I felt were just really like sloppily done. They were like, oh, let's have this arc. Um, oh, this arc should finish now. Uh, it finishes for no reason. Like it's just, it was a lot of like, we didn't get reactions when we should have. There were sort of some half-formed ideas that never went anywhere. Like, there were a lot of things that I thought were well done and I enjoyed, but it was very inconsistent. I, I did really like some of the Hork-Bajir Planet antics, though. <laughs> the, the morph that we will get into was ridiculous, extremely memorable, and also just delightful. It's an interesting point that it felt rushed, because that's yeah. exactly right. That's yeah. a really good characterization of it. And... I think that actually highlights how impressive it is that these books usually don't feel rushed. Yeah. Given that they were writing 14 of them a year, it's actually quite surprising. 
that they normally don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Similarly, there's there's one sentence that was very ungrammatical, oh, really? and it, I it that. really caught my you know copy editor's eye. And my note there was like, you know, it's actually quite surprising that for a middle grade series, <laughs> these are usually very grammatical. Usually like, that's well not a thing yeah. that I normally yeah, notice. Yeah. And so good on them for you know. 33 out of 34 books not feeling rushed and being generally... So this book makes the other shine in comparison is what you're saying. Kind of a little bit. I guess, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we should should hear what the book is about. But like, I really like the premise and the themes and this could have been a great, like, serious Cassie book. Mm -hmm. And instead it's like, average silly Cassie book. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I wouldn't class this with the silly Cassie books because it, it didn't have those sort of wonderful passages of silliness and antics. Mm-hmm. It just, it also failed to be a serious Cassie book. Right. It right. just isn't very good <laughs> in some. Uh, but would you guys like to hear what it's about? I really would. Okay. Yes. So at the beginning of this book, there is an opening caper that is not relevant to anything, but it's very cute. So I'm going to tell you about it where Cassie has gotten Rachel to sneak into Cassie's math teacher's house with her to steal back a doodle that Cassie accidentally turned in with her math test. The doodle is of a heart, and it says that Cassie loves Jake. And Rachel makes a lot of fun of her, and... uh, I'm sorry, there's also a badly drawn Cupid. (laughs) (laughs) My apologies, that's incredibly important to the themes of the book, really. It's the um, prophecy. <laughs> Cassie loves Jake. I'm, Thank goodness there was actually a prophecy. Okay. I'm glad this summary is staying on track. <laughs> We're in chapter one. We're doing great. It's our best summary yet. Okay. So then Cassie flies home. There's a horkbajir outside her barn. She is temporarily extremely alarmed, but it turns out to be Jarahami. And Toby sent him because there's an alien in the horkbajir valley. There is one of the Arn. The Arn, you may recall, are the species that created the horkbajir. And they're like the little flying squirrel type creatures. And Toby wants the animals to come, so they all do. And they meet the Arn. He is the last of the Arn, it turns out. And he has come to Earth because he wants to harvest DNA from the free Horkbajir to clone a bunch of Horkbajir. He knows he doesn't have very long to live, and he wants to make this effort to sort of redeem his species, do something good for the Horkbajir. He also wants to supply those Horkbajir clones with a bunch of weapons in the spaceship that he knows Aldrea and Dak found, but he can't find them because they hid them on the Horkbajir planet. But fortunately, he has a solution because before she died, she stored her Exilla, which is like her essence, her thoughts, her, I don't know, brain map, sort of like uploading herself into a computer, except it's like more mystical somehow. And the Arn can do a ceremony called the Atafalxical, which will take Aldrea's essence and put it in a fitting receptacle. He assumes it'll be someone female, someone who is like strong-willed like Aldrea was. And they're like, ah, great, Rachel, Rachel or Toby, Toby the Herpager Seer, who's Aldrea's great-granddaughter. So they do this this ceremony, and the Ixilla goes into Cassie instead, and everyone's surprised. And then Cassie has Aldrea in her head. Aldrea, who, whose memories were recorded before she died, so she doesn't know she's dead, and it's all very shocking. And she is pretty mad at the Arn, and is pretty skeptical of this plan to like, make more Horkbajir to kill other Horkbajir, even though that's what she did for her entire life. But she agrees to go to the Horkbajir homeworld and try to find this cache of weapons to arm these new Horkbajir with. And uh, Cassie obviously has to go with her since she's the receptacle and the Animorphs are all like, oh yeah, we're going to come too. So they do a little morphing practice and Aldrea and Cassie figure out how to share control of Cassie's body. 
we get Aldrea's point of view kind of alternating with Cassie's, and Aldrea's definitely not completely sold on the idea that she's going to leave Cassie's body after this mission is over. So they go to the Harkajir homeworld, they fly in the orange ship through Z-Space, and there's this whole thing in space where they have to shoot on an Andalite fighter because they're in a Yerk ship that the Arn stole. So this Andalite fires on them. They don't want to kill the Andalite. Uh, so they just shoot to disable. And then a bunch of Yerks come after them. And they and the Andalite kind of team up and kill all the Yerk ships. And it's just this sort of interlude where Aldrea and Axe get to have some Andalite tension. Then they go down to the surface of the world. It's been really devastated by the Yerks. There are a lot of trees gone. Aldrea's really horrified. They go see the Arn's lab, and then Aldrea reveals that she doesn't actually know where the weapons were hidden, which she definitely said as soon as she woke up, but everyone seems to have forgotten, and so they're really upset. So they all morph Horkvajir and go to the end of the valley where Aldrea and Dak lived with their son, Ciro, because Aldrea's like, I know where I was going to hide the weapons, I can find them. But the Yerks have cut down all the trees at that end of the valley and built this huge Yerk pool, just like massive, completely bigger than anything we've seen. And Aldrea is able to figure out that the tree in which they'd constructed the special compartment to hide the ship and the weapons was cut down and is part of the yurt pool. And she thinks that the compartment is still intact. So they can go into the compartment and get all this stuff, but the door is inside the yurt pool. So they concoct this <laughs> completely practical and not at all unreasonable plan. <laughs> where I'm just really excited for you to explain this to me because I don't understand the plan. <laughs> Don't it's worry. You. It, it will make perfect sense once I have explained it. So Cassie morphs Osprey, flies really, really high, as high as she can, and in her mouth, in insect morph, are all of the other animorphs. Once she is as high in the atmosphere as she can go, she starts to glide down, starts to demorph while gliding toward the yurk pool, keeps her wings into her human form, and then starts morphing humpback whale, still has her wings. This is uncharted morphing territory, everyone. So she's like mostly whale, but still with these really big wings, like gliding toward the yurk pool. The yurks start shooting at her. Aldrea freaks out. It's like, you have to drop the wings. You have to just like let yourself fall, go beneath the water. They aren't going to shoot at the yurk pool until they've had a chance to evacuate some of the yurks. And Cassie's like, no, 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 no. I can still make it for a little bit longer. It's, it's not time to drop the wings yet. And Aldrea's like, no, no, you have to do it. And she tries to take control of Cassie's body, but Cassie successfully fights her while pulling off this ridiculously difficult morph. And finally, Cassie does drop the wings, plunges beneath the water. Everyone else has started demorphing in her whale mouth while she was mostly morphed. And now they're remorphing into some combat morphs. So she finishes the morph to whale, opens her mouth, lets them out. A couple of Rachel and Jake are sharks and start like fighting the taxons in the water. Tobias and Axe are Andalites, and Marco is a Horkbajir, like, saying that there are hundreds of Andalites coming. So there's this battle happening. Cassie demorphs to human and then morphs to Horkbajir and goes down to find this opening in the tree trunk. Successfully finds it, gets inside, the other Animorphs join her, and Aldrea manages to remember the code, or guess what she would have used as the code for the ship that's inside. And Axe is very impressed that she managed to get the ship. And apparently this ends all of his issues with her and how she claims to be Horkadir, not Andalite. Aldrea blasts through the side of the tree that this secret compartment is in to, like, with the ship to escape. And a bunch of Yurks get sucked out of the pool and presumably, the, like, a lot of Yurks die. Uh, but they get out in the ship 
And um, it was a successful mission. They're all really bummed about all violence and everything. And Aldrea has now decided that she does want to leave Cassie's head. She's impressed with Cassie's spirit or something. And she and Axe are friends now. And they're talking about how, well, Toby will stay here and lead this Horkvajir fight. And Aldrea's like, no, I want one of my descendants to live a life without war. She's going to go back to Earth and stay with the Free Horkvajir colony because they never fight or anything. And Axe is like, well, Toby will never agree to that. She thinks it's her duty to stay here. And Aldrea's like, ah, yes, we must trick her. So together with Cassie, they come up with this plan where Cassie pretends Aldrea is refusing to leave her head. And Axe puts his tail blade to Toby's throat. It's like, you better leave my friend Cassie or I'm going to kill your great-granddaughter. And Aldrea's like, yes, all right, fine, I'll leave. And Axe is like, great, we'll keep Toby as a hostage until we get back to Earth. Because that makes sense. The end of the book, we see Aldrea leaving Cassie, and we get sort of her fading thoughts of her husband and her son, and then she's she's gone, and that's the end of the book, and we don't get to see anyone's reactions or anything. Or yeah. how they get back to Earth. Uh, presumably, the arm flies them. It helped a little bit, Jenny, but... <laughs> Are you saying I didn't make it perfectly clear I'm saying a wonderful book? I'm saying you cleared it up as much as it could be cleared up. <laughs> that's a great compliment. I'll take it. I had so many issues with this book. It might have come through in the summary. <laughs> Well, okay, so it's like, I was just thinking about it a little bit as you were wrapping up the summary. The reason it feels rushed is because it tries to tackle too much stuff, right? What we've seen is like with Cassie and Aftran, that book is super successful, mm-hmm. but it's also one extended conversation between two yeah. characters, mm-hmm. right? So you have the same kind of issue with like Cassie and Aldrea, but you also have this like Aldrea and Axe thing and this Aldrea and Toby thing and this Aldrea yeah. and Jake thing and like... There isn't enough room. It's almost like you would need the space that they gave David to set up and resolve this conflict in like a more meaningful way. This was also a shorter book. Oh, maybe that's... Which didn't help. Right. And we were suggesting maybe some stuff got torn out at the last minute. (laughs) I think it was also like, it's hard to know exactly all the pieces that you're going to need in a book before you write it, I feel like. And presumably Apple Grant at this point. They've written a lot of these. They're pretty good at it. But if you're writing an outline to give to a ghostwriter, it would be really hard to be thorough. And if they didn't have time to edit a lot, if the ghostwriter didn't feel empowered to invent um, or to go off the outline, you know, I could just see how it would be really tough. Because, like, yeah, part of the problem was that they were trying to tackle a lot in a short space. But also the plot that they'd come up with didn't really scaffold the emotional development that they needed. Right. They had this arc of Aldrea and her, you know, thinking at the beginning, oh, I'm not going to leave Cassie, then I'm going to cling to life. And at the end being like, yes, I must leave. It is my time to go. And you also had Axe being like, you're an Andalite and also the daughter of the worst Andalite ever. And I'm going to be really snippy at you. And then at the end, he's like, yes, sister Harkvajir. And you're like, but why? Why did you change? Like, in neither case was there a reason why at the end, they changed their position. It was just like, oh, we've spent some time together now, and it's the end of the book. Therefore, I have the I have the right view now. Right. It was really dumb. Yeah, and so much, so many things got shortchanged. I mean, emotional development, but also some of the some of the plot points, some of the relationships. Toby, like, like what's Toby? Even a character? Why yeah. is Toby there? She does not talk, and then they're real pat- patronizing to her, even though uh-huh. she is. I mean, I know she's technically a child, but she is a fully functioning person, and they're treating her like an idiot. Yeah, like, she's I was the smartest so person. So mad! In the world. Yeah. I can't believe Cassie went along with that. It was 
It was such a bad plan. I guess, well, it's also like maybe the thing that we're reacting against is like, it, like it would have been more satisfying if it had resolved for like a plot reason than to have Aldrea and Axe suddenly change their personalities for no reason, right? And like <laughs> the Anwarfs books usually are okay with like ambiguity. So like mm. normally the story would just end and it would be like, Okay, Axe never came around on Aldrea, and that's, yeah, fine, that's fine, right? Like, yeah. you know, Aldrea. That's so true. Or just like, or just like, in rereading this, I did not remember how the ending played out, right? Yeah. So I assumed that it was building towards basically Aldrea being like, "Hey, so I have this body now. It sucks, but I can become a Horkbjernath or whatever." And Toby being like, "No, Aldrea, oh, that, that sucks, so right? Much like better. that." But yeah. but instead, there's like this, like Aldrea and Toby don't connect, and it's like. Why would you? No, did they even talk like after that first introduction? No, but and why would you want your great granddaughter to think of you that way, <laughs> right? Like the plan is yeah. like cruel to Toby and cruel to Aldrea's memory. It very much read to me like they were like, okay, and now we need something for Aldrea and Axe to do together, and we also need uh, like a dramatic way for Aldrea to leave Cassie's body because otherwise it'll be anticlimactic. And so they come up with this thing, which is just a terrible idea all around. Yeah. yeah. The, the lack of interaction between Toby and Andrea I also found really weird in some ways because, for example, they have this entire space flight from Earth to yeah. the Horkbajir planet in which Toby does not talk. Even though her great-grandmother is present and has this history and information and knows the last Horkbajir seer, like was married to yeah. the last Horkbajir seer, from what we know of Toby in previous books... I feel that she would have been so interested in like sitting down with Aldrea and learning more about mm-hmm. her and finding mm-hmm. out this history. And I know they didn't really have time to do that, but it just seems like it was like, and then we need Toby for some reason. So we'll just like put her on the ship and then she just won't talk. Right. She's a, she's like a plot device. She was very objectified in the sense of being an object instead of a subject. Mm-hmm. Like, not in the sense of, like, her body is attractive, which is how the word often gets used, but, like, objectification is, like, making someone not an agent, like, yeah. making them a physical, like, a symbol of something. Exactly. Or... And it's kind of the problem that we had with every Horkbajir besides Dak in the Horkbajir yeah. Chronicles, right? Toby is even a seer, and they still can't get in her head. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't give her any any choices or options. Aldrea makes these decisions for her that don't really make sense from a character perspective. It was just, like, no. very weird. I can see how maybe Toby would think it was her duty to stay in the Harpedeer planet, but it hadn't really been discussed. I could also see how it's her duty to stay with her colony on Earth. Why did she even come with them in the first place? Why? Yeah. It is not useful. No. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, there are just a lot of really sloppy things like that. Yeah. And there, there were several things that were inconsistent within the book. Well, yeah, the thing you pointed out about how Aldrea says, I don't know where the weapons are, and then later that's an unpleasant surprise. Right. Yeah, yeah she's like, but, and just, Arn specifically says, like, oh, but the mind that hid them the first time can probably find them, which is not a great reason to revive someone's memory and bring them to a different planet, but okay. Right. It turns out he was right. You okay there? No, just the whole premise. <laughs> so <laughs> many. A really weird premise. Yeah, so many, I have so many questions about it. Because it, in some ways it's like the adventure on Lyra, right? Yeah. It's sort of like they get swept off to an alien world. But that was like freak accident. Right. And now, you know, we just kind of are going with the flow. Mm-hmm. This is like every step along the way is a choice they are making. <laughs> and the choices never are grounded in reality. Yeah. The Arn flew here on a Yerk ship. Clearly has the ability to steal Yerk stuff. 
but he needs Aldrea to be revived from the dead and needs to bring an alien back to her dear homeworld so that he can find the ship that she stole, because that's just a way better ship. I mean, and the cache of weapons, I guess, but like... Maybe, maybe he can't Maybe he can't do it in the 400 days he has left to live. That's not like a short time span. Try for another few hundred. Was it 400? It's 400. So you have like okay, over right. a year left. Yeah, but that's fine. tons of time so to look, right? Also, Just try. Know, the, the plan that he has for the next, for the year and a little bit more of his life is he is going to take this Hork-Bajir DNA... <laughs> which he had to go to Earth to the free Hork-Bajir to get. Because you can't scrape DNA secretly off the Hork-Bajir on the Hork-Bajir homeworld. the Hork-Bajir who are on the Hork-Bajir homeworld. Yeah. Okay, so he has to go to Earth to get the Hork-Bajir DNA. Well, he needs free DNA. <laughs> sure. You don't want it to be tainted by your, you know, slime. Sure. Yeah. So then he's yeah. going to bring it back to his fancy lab, and then he is going to create these Hork-Bajir. Is he going to create them fully grown? Is he going to create them fully grown? Is he going to create them with the knowledge of fighting, which they don't have in their DNA? Like, they were not created to be fighters. Although, in his defense, they did seem to pick it up real easily. Sure, but like, what exactly is your plan here, buddy? And then you're just going to have like a colony of free hork on the yerk-infested hork homeworld? Is that the plan? Because yes. what, yes. okay. how many how many Hork-Bajir exactly are you creating? I think the, he's making an army. But I don't they know how had many. an army. I know. It this would went be, poorly. Okay, just this everything about this would be so much better if the Arn was the like maybe he's like a plot device for getting the brain ghost thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe that's why you need the Arn. But if the free Hork-Bajir were like, hey, we have this amazing opportunity. Half of us are going to go back and take back the home world. Sure, yeah. And like, we need, we have this Aldrea brain ghost thing. And so, uh, you know, yeah. you know, I'm not sure how they would convince themselves that the Animorphs need to be around for that to happen. <laughs> That's I don't know. true. You needed the brain ghost to bring in the Animorphs. Right. But still, there's like, you could have justified it more beyond like crazy scientist Arn wants to redeem his species. Because I mean, who, who cares about the Arn? No one cares about no the Arn. Yeah. We could have ended up caring about the Arn if the Arn had been made interesting in any way yeah. in the second half of the book. Like there were all these sort of hints and promises in the first half that like, maybe he's not going to do what he says he's going to do. Right. Like, we can't really trust Arn. None of that pans out. He's yeah. apparently going to do what he says or, he's going to do. I actually like Gray's like prediction that now that he has the Hork-Bajir DNA, he's just going to make new monsters, like you're killing monster Hork-Bajir. Because, oh. like, yeah, I was wondering, like, is he planning, maybe the reason that he's not just like, I don't know, let's have the free Hork-Bajir have some babies. That bring that, like, maybe he is planning to actually genetically engineer them to be a lot more dangerous. And or, he wouldn't want to tell them that because they wouldn't agree to it. You could also make me care more about him and his, like, 400 days left to live if the rest of the Arn had been destroyed protecting the Hork-Bajir. Aww. Like, put that backstory in. You totally could. Right? If they had, like, turned around at some point and been like, no, we are going to fight for them. Yeah, we yeah. created them. They are all being massacred by the Yerks. We're going to fight for them. It's, except it turns out we really suck at fighting, and instead we just all got massacred. Listen, not a good decision, but I would care more about you. Instead, you're like, I don't know. A bunch of us got destroyed somehow. Whatever. Target practice. Yeah. 
And that somehow makes him want to redeem his species by making up for the wrong they did to the Horthagir, which the Arn have never acknowledged or seemed to recognize as harm. Right. Which is, you know, it's a debatable point, but Rachel Rachel has an opinion. It's just one of those, it does feel a little like they had an outline and hit all the points, but did not, they did not have the transition sentences that one needs in order to go from an outline complete I don't even know if it's that. I think that the outline has problems in that, like, maybe the outline is missing some plot points or at least conversations that mm-hmm. need to happen to, like, make Axe change his point of view on Aldrea, to make Aldrea yeah. decide to leave Cassie. There's this whole bit at the beginning when the Arn proposes to Aldrea, like, yeah, I'm going to make some more Harkbajir, and then they'll fight the Yerks and at least cause us, like, a distraction in the war. Aldrea's like, oh, so you want to make more Harkbajir to kill other Harkbajir? And she has this whole thing about, like, you know, you're Toby. You, you might think it's great to fight the Yerks and, like, use the Horkbajir that way, but your great-grandfather regretted it in the end or after he saw the bodies pile up. And, and you're like, great, I want to kind of see more of that story. But instead, you're just ignoring all of that and agreeing to go do this thing that the Arm proposed Yeah, exactly. further discussion. Yeah. yeah, Aldrea does not seem to have grown from the experiences that she had between the end of the Horkbajir Chronicles and her death, or at least the part of her memories that ended with the, uh, whenever her brain waves got put in a vial, somehow, whatever, that the growth that we sort of saw her starting to have seems to have stopped, right? I'm sorry. I'm just That's picturing, really interesting. I'm just picturing, like, putting a vial to your forehead and thinking real, real hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> convince me I'm wrong. <laughs> That's not like not how it's just like, I mean, whatever, technology, who cares? But, but the point is that, yeah, you know, we saw her starting to have a deeper understanding of the Hort-Bajir and mm-hmm. how they were impacted by the the battles and her relationship with, with Dag. And we see these kind of flashes of it, but it has not seemed to affect her personality. And I like that Aldrea is such an unlikable person. Like, mm-hmm. I liked that in the Horde Fisher Chronicles. She's not a particularly kind or loving person. She's very driven. But, yeah, she should have matured, if not even just from the war, then it's like all of the protagonists are middle grade protagonists, right? Mm-hmm. So Aldrea and Dak are like kids that get thrown into this war the same way Animorphs are. And mm-hmm. like Cassie alludes to that here. Yeah. But this Aldrea should be more mature. Right? Like, yeah, she she grew up, she was married, she had a child. Mm-hmm. and Though I guess we know Hork with your children can happen just like that. So maybe it was only like six months later. I guess. Know. Also, did we know that apparently she and no, Dak were, were no. naturally immune to the virus I mean, that attacked? I because I've read this book. But <laughs> I did not remember that. What a Because retcon. it's a terrible retcon. It's so dumb that I... I actually just sputtered at the book for a couple <laughs> seconds and then moved on. Yeah, I I do think she's grown in terms of her understanding of her own like identity and choices. Mm. Like she is right. very right. certain that she is a horpager. That is who yeah. she is. And we have some questions about how much of a decision that was at the end of the Horkbeger Chronicles. This book and, thinks it was a decision. Yeah. yeah. Or at least she's come around to it. Mm-hmm. She she doesn't yeah. have doubts like Well, Cassie's telling of it is as if it was a decision. That is true. Uh, So that's at least the story she got from Tobias. Who knows? But Aldrea doesn't seem to have any doubts about having done it. Yeah, she identifies as a horpageer. That's who she is, which is one of the reasons that she and Axe are not getting along. Yeah, Axe is a real dick. 
It kind of is, yeah. But wait, <laughs> why doesn't Eldrea tell them all about Visser Three's memories? Wouldn't that have been? I guess they already know. They already know. Why haven't they talked about this? I don't know because it did. It wasn't very interesting. It didn't seem like Visser Three. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> they probably talked about it off screen because like, yeah. Tobias did tell them the whole story. Apparently, no, it's okay. When Visser Three's <laughs> twins, Brain Ghost, infests Marco, <laughs> then. Perfect. It will become relevant. That's perfect. That happens in thirty-eight. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just you ran out of stuff. Like yeah, ran out of space. It's weird for it to happen in an axe book, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, when you put it like that. Oh man. So yeah. So Ted, you were saying something about talking about the good things of this book. I have. I have a good thing. Yeah. Yay! I liked the parallel between Cassie's doodle in the first <laughs> chapter. And Aldrea's. Oh, you're uh, so right. Doodle. That's why it was in there. Yes, uh, because when they are looking for the tree that they used to live in, that's now the place where the weapons and the ship are stored, uh, they find it because they had essentially graffitied like a heart with like Aldrea loves Dak on it, <laughs> and that's how they can identify the tree. And so yeah. there's that's her her doodle is the symbol for undying love in Hork-Bajir, which I assume is I just a heart with really, an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really want to know what the Hork-Bajir undying love symbol is. I bet it's cool. A heart with an arrow for it. No, that's our icon. It's a universal symbol. <laughs> Keep it this well, Hork-Bajir do the the face pressing thing, yeah, right? Yeah. So maybe it's like corporate your faces in profile or something Ooh, or like horns Aww. together or something. yeah locked horns yeah yeah Aww. locked horns that are curled together in the shape <laughs> of a heart <laughs> perfect universal yes oh it's actually the word for love in andalite thought speak is just the universal symbol of the, the heart yeah, yeah. i assume Yes, oh, universal symbols are emojis. Yes, Axe thinks in emojis. <laughs> I broke gray. I broke gray. Right I broke gray. <laughs> are we writing all of Axe's books where his thought speak is just emojis? Yes. His narration is just emojis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But anyway, I did like the parallels. <laughs> Um, between Cassie and Jake and Aldrea and Dak, like mm-hmm. when Aldrea first comes into Cassie's head, she's like, oh, you care about that one, like referring to Jake, like like me and Dak. And Cassie's like, yeah, that's a troubling comparison. Right. <laughs> she's Dak like, died in battle, but okay. Yeah. Right, and then Aldrea's just like, I hope it turns out better for you. <laughs> right. She, and maybe it's not that snippy, but. More or less. There's also, Marco is great in this book. Marco is so great in this book. I'm so glad you think so, because I wrote in my notes how much I like Marco in this book, and I was afraid that you still didn't like him. No, he's great in this book. He's very funny. He Mm -hmm. uses his humor very strategically, always Mm -hmm. to break the Mm -hmm. tension, which is when I like him the best. And all of his jokes are just dumb and not mean. (laughs) I loved it. It was great. Good job, Marco. Can I read one of the great tension-breaking, tension-release passages? Right. I'm going to butcher this name. Quaffa Genivan. (laughs) Quaffa Genivan says we are now in Horkbeger's face. We may pass the York defenses unnoticed or not, Jake announced. We should get ready. Don't know what we'll be walking into. I want everyone... Marco held up his hand like he was asking a question. Yes, Marco. Do we have correct change for the tolls? Jake blinked. Then he grinned. He and Marco had been best friends forever. Marco knows how to knock Jake down a peg when Jake starts taking his fearless leader role too seriously. Very funny. It's sweet, but like, 
maybe Cassie hasn't quite realized how things have changed for Jake and Marco. Because, like, <laughs> this is really great use of humor, but it's also they're both playing a role, right? Oh. Like, and they, like, it's, it comes through so clearly in 30 and 31. And, like, the forced football playing in 33, forced right? Levity. I do yeah, think Tobias sees it. One thing that's really interesting in, in all of these books so far is how little they seem to understand each other in or at least each other's internal struggles so they Mm -hmm. still in in the books that aren't Rachel books Rachel's always just the one who's going to go for it and they don't seem to have any understanding of her struggles with her own violence and they you know in this book it's like Jake and Marco still best friends still make each other Mm -hmm. laugh it's like yeah but we saw that that's like not exactly true for them anymore Part of that, I think, is just how internal these books are, that each one of them is really only that person. I think it's also, it's kind of an interesting psychological lesson for all of us. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we don't understand what's going on in other people. That's so true. And doing these sort of mind reads. You guys could be predicting anything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and am. So I think doing these sort of predictive statements, like they're so inaccurate about each other's thoughts and feelings, which maybe is something that we can learn from these books that we can't predict what other people yeah. are thinking and feeling. And well, I just think that's, that's one of my favorite things about reading fiction with multiple points of view. Mm-hmm. Cause when it's, when it's done well, that's what the takeaway always yeah. is. Right. Yeah. That's more generous than I was going to be. Actually. I, now that, now that you say that Ted, okay. I, I do actually think there is probably some intentionality behind like, well, of course they don't actually know what's going on in each other's heads. It'd be completely unrealistic and like sort of a forced omniscience if they actually did. I do think probably a component of it is that each of these books has to introduce the characters again and they have to introduce them in their types so yeah. that we know what it means when Marco doesn't tell a joke or when Rachel actually hesitates. Like we have to know what that stuff means. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. So and they give us sort of the most basic read every time. We've talked before about how of all the characters, Cassie has a real arc that goes beyond mm-hmm. her point of view books, like especially in the teens as it leads uh-huh. up to her decision to quit in 19 you see her role really shift and change, right? And so it's still, I think, presented with like, well, Cassie's always this way, but now she's not, you know? Mm -hmm. And like the forced levity in book 33 is a nod towards something having changed, whereas you're right, this is more, this is the established dynamic and it's not showing the complexity. This this instance of like Jake and Marco, like this is sort of them still being, like their friendship isn't just this anymore, but I think this is still a part of it. Yeah, I think both of them are struggling with how to reconcile all the parts of their relationship with each other. And I guess this is this moment in particular is very much it's almost like Jake and Marco had some issues to work out. And now Marco is like a very successful lieutenant. Right. He's maybe he's like acting more as Jake's second here. And this is we didn't even talk about this in 33, but there was a bit where. After the decision had been made to attack the community center, Marco like switches into his head of security mode, which yeah. is again like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not I'm not contesting Jake for the the what, but I'm still going to be in charge of the how. Yeah. So maybe it is kind of a new iteration yeah. on their friendship. There's another example of the seeing other characters this way yeah. that I wanted to point out, which is when she introduces Tobias, she says. Tobias had chosen a bird body as his new forever body or whatever. It's like, it makes it sound like, oh, Tobias made this choice and he's, he wants to be a bird now. That's actually where I put the note about they don't know each other's motivations. Yeah. And it's like, that's actually, it was that line because it's so true. She says, yeah, he, he, this is, he chooses to consider the bird as his true body. Like question. Except that he does. 
that's actually different than what Rachel would say about it. But again, I think it's losing some of the nuance we've seen. That's true. It's not, you know. Can I just say one thing about the Marco uh, being a lieutenant in this book? Yes. Say more more things. One more quick thing. So in addition to the humor, he also, at one point, they're performing the crazy thing at the end with the morphs and whatever. Uh And they get into the the Yerk pool and Aldrea says, the Horpazier controllers couldn't fire on the Yerk pool as the human Marco had predicted once in the pool we were safe. (laughs) And so it's like Marco's got that. He's bringing his head of security logistics brain and saying, okay, if we do this plan, like here's one thing that we can take advantage of. So again, I do think he's, he's being a good lieutenant in this one. So we've actually seen relatively little of Cassie from the outside in the last four books. Mm-hmm. She was not very present at all in 30 for Marco's thing. She was weirdly absent in 31. Like Jake was avoiding her. Yeah, Jake was avoiding her. Both of the, <clears throat> both those books are about Jake and Marco. And she was present in Rachel's book a little bit, but that was mostly just about her friendship with Rachel, mm-hmm. not really about anything else. And then she wasn't particularly present in 33 in any like character significant ways. And I don't know, I wonder if they're sort of struggling to figure out what to do with her at this point. Like I liked some of her character stuff in this. It wasn't very connected to her like ethical quandary stuff. It was sort of more connected to her confidence and perception of herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, why did Aldrea choose me? Yeah, she chose me she because I'm weak. Thing. And yeah. then it's like, no, she chose me because I'm strong. <laughs> right. <laughs> Again. Yeah, it was like a little bit too pat because we don't actually see Cassie convincing Aldrea to leave her body. But I, I did like that where they at the beginning they they think Aldrea will choose Rachel or Toby. And Cassie actually thinks to herself, like, oh, yeah, the way they described, like, you know, self-assured, strong woman or whatever, like, that's that's Rachel, that's Toby, that's not me. Then once she senses, like, oh, no, maybe Aldrea doesn't want to leave my body, she's like, oh, no, maybe it would be wrong for me to make her leave my body. This is the weakness that she perceived in me. I'm going to take back what I said before. I think it is connected to her ethical stuff. Because she she takes morality very seriously, but she also she also sometimes sees her unwillingness to to do things that she doesn't see as moral or ethical. She sometimes sees that as weakness or selfishness. I think that's right. I think that if the the Aldrea situation feels mm-hmm. like a very Cassie issue. Mm-hmm. I think the book doesn't deliver on the on the mm-hmm. way that mm-hmm. I would want it to compared to oh, compared 19 and 29, oh. right? But the realization that she has mm-hmm. of now that the Aldrea brain ghost exists, is since I have the choice to allow her to live, I must allow her to live, mm-hmm. right? Which I think I think Cassie is right by Cassie's terms right mm-hmm. and I, I i wish that there had been a less convenient way to like resolve that at the end um, i don't know if because it did seem like they could take aldrea out of cassie's head put her back in the test tube and presumably do this again someday so she it wouldn't actually be killing her yeah that was a weird weird passage because yeah i guess i guess that's right jenny that's not that's not how i read it though like yeah, it, it reads like aldrea is like dying again but yeah. you're right logically yeah, but it's also like, okay, I'm just gonna rant about this now because we have to talk about it at some point. If you have this power, right? So there, I guess he does. He does say at the beginning, the RN is like, this is only successful some of the time, right? Mm-hmm. So if each time you boot up Aldrea, a new Aldrea clone, if there's a 
uh, only a 25% chance of success, I guess. And maybe that, that failure means you can never bring her back again or something. Right. So like, if that were true, then it's like, okay, it works this one time with Cassie. Maybe it's inherently risky for her to leave and come back. So maybe that's true, but the book doesn't really, doesn't really say that. Assuming you can just make indefinite copies of Aldrea, why not just create like, why not create multiple Aldreas? Like you could have a bunch of Aldrea minds. You could copy her. But, like, why not? Oh, but I guess while she's alive, you probably could have created a bunch of copies. Right, right. And, or, like, if you can just move her from body to body, why not invest in some technology to make that really easy? Like Again, why not build her a robot to, body? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, it's, it's like a, it's well, very strange. The book comes down against that idea as, like, a thing that should be done in this conversation that Cassie has with the Chi. So they're flying off to the horror potential oh, yeah. world. And the Chi are going to take over their lives. And there's a really cute bit where Marco wants the Chi to ask out a girl for him because every time he t- tries, his voice does something funny. And it's great. I love <laughs> I, I love the side of Marco that is willing to... He's he's like, he's joking about it, but he's he's owning the fact that he can't talk to girls, right? Like, he's, he's, be, he's actually like, yeah, I'm bad at this. <laughs> he is willing to use his own feelings as a source of humor, which I admire in him. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it keeps him from taking them seriously, but but yeah. So Cassie's like, wait, if we don't come back, and then she doesn't finish her question, and Eric is like, yeah, if you want, we can stay in your likeness forever. Oh, that makes me so sad. Which I did not think that was what she was going to say. I thought she was going to say, tell our parents or something, because what a disturbing idea. And Cassie, to her credit, is like, no, no, I that would that would not be right. And Eric is like, yeah, I've been around a long time, and some like when someone dies, it's better to let them die and not try to hold on to some like See, fake version of them. Foreshadowing. <laughs> See, yeah, it's not on the nose at all. It was so on the nose. I was like, are we going to find out later that this is like part of their psyops campaign to convince Aldrea to leave? Like they're all because <laughs> they have this. I absolutely love the dynamic of the Animorphs clue into the fact that Aldrea is is a risk. And then they sort of go off and have this plan. So Rachel is taking Cassie and Aldrea to go out and practice morphing. Mm -hmm. And Cassie's like, the others left. Or at least it looked like they left. (laughs) I knew they didn't really leave. Like maybe someone went to tell the Chi, but the Animorphs are out there in morphs spying on us in case some weird stuff happens. Like no one told her that, but she knows the Animorphs. And she's like deliberately not looking for them. Yeah. And then Aldrea doesn't know that. And it's just, it's like very much like in book six, um, mm-hmm. when the Animorphs are all, mm-hmm. you know, like Rachel's the only one really standing guard, but the rest of the Animorphs are out in the woods watching, mm-hmm. you know. There's some really good team stuff in this book. Yeah. Aldrea is very skeptical of their whole plan at the end with Cassie doing the, like, triple morph thing, which reasonable. But she is skeptical in particular because she hasn't seen the Animorphs work as a team. And when Cassie's under the water and is like, I'm demorphing, I have to get air... Andrea's like, no, they will see you. And she's like, no, trust my friends. It will be okay. And they've just been through so many missions, and they just have each other's backs so much. Yeah. It's great. They're awesome. The Animorphs are the best. Yeah, they really are. I want to go back to the dilemma, though. Okay, yeah. So maybe the book doesn't really ground it because it seems like Aldrea could come back to life again. Yeah. Like, it's, it's both. That's, like, what logically makes sense, but it's written as if she's going to die. But so like assuming this, I want, I really, I'm particularly keen to get your take on this, Jenny. Mm -hmm. If you are in this situation where you can kind of share control of your body with someone who's dead and they don't want to be dead again, do you have an obligation to kind of give them some of your 
you know, a timeshare in your own body because, you know, now, now that the situation has been created, do you have an obligation to that other person? Cause like, is she less of a person just because she's a brain ghost? What? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go on. One of the things that I picked up on in Cassie's bit about like, Oh no, what if I have an obligation to keep her in my head? She was like, if I had known that this would be the situation, I wouldn't have done this. Mm-hmm. Which, what a weird pair of things to hold in your head. You're like, oh, now that I've done it, I have an obligation to let it continue. But it would have been better if I had not done it, not even given her a little bit of what she has now. Like somehow Mm -hmm. it would be better for Cassie to have never given Aldrea this life than to have given it to her for a short period of time. It That feels weird to me. And yet that that can be an aspect of like the abortion debate like yes okay this like fetus would not exist if you had not created it now that you have you have a different obligation to it than if you had not created it at all and certainly once you have a baby i think everyone would agree like you can't like yes this baby would not exist except for you but you can't just kill it so well on the one hand it feels illogical that cassie has that sort of pair of views it does line up to a lot of things in actual life i was thinking also analogous to the argument you were making in Megamorphs 2, that once they find themselves back in time, they're not allowed to be selfish and try and create the future where humans exist. They mm-hmm. should be helping the Makora because they're there today, right? It's kind of like, so once you, assuming that Aldrea is a full mind person or whatever, mm-hmm. I, I it, it makes so much sense to me that Cassie would feel a duty to yeah. uh, let her live. she can't live. just go back into the bottle to be brought out again, which she- Really, I think they actually outright say that she can. Right, 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 right. I was trying to find it and I couldn't find it. But yeah, yeah, if it's like, okay, this was your one shot and now I'm actually killing you, I think she's kind of right. I also think it's a really interesting, I love everything about the situation of the, the body share. So like, I think it made, I don't have a really strong memory of this book, but the one thing that made a really strong impression was this idea that when Cassie gets chosen as the receptacle, she's like, oh, suddenly there was this like wall mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. mind that I couldn't see beyond. Mm-hmm. And so like, I know Aldrea must be there. And then though all the ways that they use that metaphor to talk about how the anger comes flooding through, or then mm-hmm. the wall becomes more like a sieve mm-hmm. and it's different from having a yerk in your head, which Cassie yeah. is familiar with. Yeah. To me, it was like, it feels like Aldrea has morphed into Cassie, but Cassie's mind is still there, right? Like, oh. it's like, it's very much, um, Aldrea has like Cassie's like instincts to draw on, sort of, mm-hmm. but Cassie, it's like, this is what Cassie was worried about the first time she morphed into a dolphin, right? It's like, what if, <laughs> what if I'm controlling this body? But there's another mind there yes, fighting this is for what it. She was worried right? about, yeah. And so it's just really interesting that they explore that, especially that Cassie explores that. And like Doesn't some make of that connection. Some of the stuff where when they're leaving the free Horkbajir and the Horkbajir are all like, free your dead, free your dead. Mm-hmm. And both Cassie and Aldrea are really touched by that and they yeah. join in. And then Cassie's like, I don't I don't understand which one of us ha- is having these feelings and yeah. is controlling me right now. And that's such a cool and powerful thing to like explore. And mm-hmm. I guess maybe I wish there had been more of that or, or more of that in the end. Like, mm-hmm. It ends up coming down to this like test of wills thing where Cassie's like, I'm doing the coolest morph that's ever been done. And Andrea's like, stop. And Cassie's like, no. <laughs> and that's it. 
But yeah, especially because it was so strongly foreshadowed that it was going to be like a bigger deal than it was. Mm -hmm. There are all these times when Aldrea takes control without Cassie giving her permission and Cassie's like, don't ever do that again. But the fact that she can do it Mm -hmm. is concerning. And there's a lot of right. But like, unlike the Yerk thing, or even being a Lyran, they have mental privacy. Yes, right. That's true. They're controlling the same body, but yeah. they have they have mental privacy mm-hmm. to some extent. Cassie yeah. sort of says the, the the emotional barrier grew weaker, right? But right. they have to consciously talk to each other. They, and they don't get access to each other's memories and stuff. Right. But they don't have any actual privacy, like this whole trip to the Herkjer homeworld. Jake oh, yeah. doesn't really talk to Cassie and Cassie's like, Yeah, Jake knows he can't talk to me without talking to Aldrea. He's yeah. aware of potential problems there. Yeah, there's a whole bit where she's like, it's very weird going to the bathroom when there's another yep. person in your brain. Good <laughs> and using a Herkvajir toilet? Yeah. Yeah, I did say a while back that I, I do recognize Cassie's moral obligation as as valid. Like, if she's killing Aldrea to get her out of her head, like, then that's a problem. But I also feel like Cassie has a right to keep her body as her own. Right. I Yeah, I think I, think that I, I sort of buy that you got into this. Yeah, she did. I mean, Under, she without didn't knowing exactly it. volunteer. Yeah. But she did not volunteer. This is a forced takeover of her body. Yeah. I refuse to consider. <laughs> it, I, I, I really appreciate that Ted was like, I want Jenny's take on this because it was so clear what my take was going to be. That, like, let's not even ask that question because, like, my whole all of my comments throughout here, throughout this scene where Cassie is thinking and talking about like, oh my God, Altrea is right. She's a person. I'm going to kill her if I get her out of my head. And I was like, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not true. Like for f- sake, stop it. But that's, that's because Cassie's body is her own and she didn't, she didn't Cassie's agree. Cassie's body right? is her own yeah. and she has, she did not invite Aldrea in. This is a, this is a forced takeover that if she decides she wants to be exercised of this, thing inside her then she right. has entirely that right though i mean cassie does have the option to refuse at the beginning she doesn't understand the consequences right but she does say yes aldrea let's go during the ritual right yeah, yeah. I mean, but she's not also she's not agreeing to a long-term thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i don't i don't think that there's so it's not uh, one of the other things that sort of comes up a lot is like aldrea is already dead and this is kind of like fake aldrea so it's mm-hmm. i think it's, there's also some interesting like Aldrea is a clone of herself, right? Yeah. So she has all the memories, but she's actually not. There's not really any evidence here that this is like really the same person, right? It really mean, is. Though? It really is a copy of Aldrea, right? Oh yes, yes, but it's still a person. Right, right, right. But it's yeah. it's kind of like there's this whole like there's it's like a science fiction thing. If you're a clone of somebody, do you count as real? Like, do clones get? I'm pretty sure you count. Right. So I think. <laughs> but also, maybe we all maybe we all come down on that side of it, and that's why we're it's not coming up in this discussion. But I I thought it was an interesting piece of the puzzle here, which is like they just talk about like Aldrea is going to be upset when she realizes that she is dead, mm-hmm. just because like it sucks to wake up one day and realize, hey, by the way, you're a clone now and you've been dead for a while. Yeah, yeah. But nobody's nobody is ever like, wow, okay, Aldrea, your opinion doesn't matter because you already lived and died and we're just using you for your information and then we're going to put you back in the box, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Well, if she is not the same person, if she's a clone, that actually makes it more compelling that she get to live because the real Aldrea got to live a full life and die. This person has not gotten to do that. Right, yes. I, I still think, in a practical sense, reading this, I was like, no, Aldrea should definitely leave her head. Cassie definitely has the right to her life back. Yeah, no, that, that silly facial reaction was more that <sighs> if this version of Aldrea 
is a snapshot of an Aldrea who has lived a full life. Uh Then even that clone has experienced a full life. Not well up to that point, but up to that point, right? And so I my I was just thinking like yes, you're right. She's gotten to live up to the point where she got her memory stamped. So I think it's consistent that Cassie can feel an obligation to let Aldrea stay, and that Aldrea can have the obligation to to leave or that that's that's the right thing to do but I, I i do i really do think there's something to the idea that cassie especially because it like it can be negotiated right mm-hmm. like you know cassie feels like I, I forget how she puts it but it's like it's like they could find a way to work it out right if aldrea is going to take over her life then mm-hmm. obviously that's not inappropriate and like can you trust aldrea probably not don't trust aldrea no don't trust aldrea um but yeah and i think there's something to that cassie says She's having this whole internal conflict, right, about what she needs to do about Aldrea when she realizes that Aldrea is alive. She says, uh, she's alive, but only by my grace. Was it my decision to make what I have to tell her when the time had come to return to nothingness? Was I going to be the one to kill Aldrea Iskillian Fallon? And then she later says, it's immoral. If Aldrea was alive, if she died again, if she ceased to exist, it would come from my own selfishness. And I think this is the aspect of Cassie that is that kind of moral quandaries. But I find it interesting the times at which she has these moral quandaries when it's more of, it seems to be more of like a philosophical kind of ethical debate you could have and not a strictly moral good or bad. And I think it's really interesting the way that Cassie kind of thinks this through. It connected for me to the thing where she's upset after all the Yerks get sort of sucked out of the Yerk pool and just like hundreds, who even knows how many Yerks died. And she was like, because I pulled this off because of me. And like, that's like the end of a chapter. Like she really heavily feels the moral weight of like, I did this thing. And I was thinking, Ted, when you were talking about like, it is right for Aldrea to leave her head, but maybe it is wrong for Cassie to make her do it. Maybe up for debate. But this idea that, like, there might be a right thing to happen in the situation, but that might not correspond to, like, the right action from each of the people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I feel like Jake has an understanding of this. We saw it in the last book, and we saw it in this book, where he's like, okay, there's clearly a right person for this incredibly dangerous mission. I cannot ask the right person to do this thing because, like, that would be too much pressure. That would be somehow an abuse of authority. I don't know. And so he sort of presents the situation and then lets them step forward. And he clearly doesn't feel great about doing it that way, but he keeps doing it that way instead of being like, okay, we need someone with a humpback whale more. Cassie, it's you. Or we need someone who's a knothlet. Tobias, you're going to go get tortured. That's so interesting. And then, yeah, Marco's more of, like, the strict utilitarian. Like, this is the, yeah. that's the that's the bright, clear line thing. He's like, right. I see the outcome. Right. These are whatever the actions Whereas are. Cassie's point of view is like, it's wrong for Marco. Even if even if this or one should die, it's wrong for Marco to do it or to have to do it. And Marco's like, doesn't matter. I'm the one who can it. do yeah. it, so I'm yeah. going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really good point. Still, though, I mean, I they're enemy combatants. <laughs> Pull the plug. Jeez. So, <laughs> it's because they happens to build their York pool on top of an incredibly valuable weapons cache. <laughs> so this thing 
thing in space that happened when they were approaching the heart with your home world. Oh, I love the thing in space. It was it was a cool thing in space. I, I want to talk about Jake's leadership in it because it was great and Aldrea was really impressed and I loved it. But I was a little bit, I don't know, they're being very careful not to kill this Andalite who is firing on them and who is going to kill them if they aren't very careful. And they are very willing to blow up four fighters that have way more innocent people on them because the Yurks have hosts. What? Great. And yeah, we've talked a lot about how they don't reckon with this thing where they're killing innocent people every time they kill a controller. They're like, oh, we can't kill an innocent person if it doesn't have a Yurk in it, but we, we have to kill a bunch of them if they do have Yurks in them. And it's just like, they just don't seem to recognize that. I agree that they don't recognize it. But I, the way that it's framed, I think, is still interesting because it's about, it's obviously framed more about the Andalite fighter because mm-hmm. they had the first dilemma is the andalite fighter is coming to shoot them and they're like well yeah. we'll blow him up and then they're like no we can't blow him up he's an andalite he thinks yeah. we're yurks but like we can't tell him that we're not you know like mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. can't just communicate with him because the communication would get intercepted yeah, yeah. right and so they're like okay okay we'll disable his engines and then immediately it's much worse because <laughs> the yurk ships arrive and they're like okay well we have to leave but if we leave now the yurks are going to kill the andalite and it's our fault right so yeah, then then they're in this our safe passage yeah. to the planet by proving that we're on the yurk side and this is the this is like a much more direct version of like the skunk situation right it's like it's our fault this andalite can't yep, move yep. right so we now and they they managed to find a way for it to work tactically which i love which like if it was a suicide mission to save the andalite fighter that would have been really ugly for them you know who comes up with the plan is tobias yeah and oh, yeah. the way that they phrase it is, Tobias, the instinctual flyer, saw the possibilities. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just Tobias is really good at this <laughs> stuff. because, And he goes through this whole, like, super technical, technical like, we're in space, but here's the, like, angle of attack, which... Oh how how do you know what's going to happen when you blow up a bug fighter in space? Have you done this before? What is happening? I feel like, I don't know actually when this came out. Wait, but he got all these memories from Elfengor. He's He has Amazing. memories of space battles. He knows what happens when you blow up a bug fighter in there space. We go. I, okay, my theory was that he just spent a lot of time playing the Star Wars TIE Fighter arcade game. Also possible. <laughs> No, no, he spent a lot of time in Alfingor's head. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, we drift left, get behind the Andalite. The Yurks may hesitate to shoot, thinking we're friendly and they might hit us. They'll split left and right to get a safe angle of attack. At that speed, that angle, you hit the left side leader and Aldrea interrupts and says, the debris will shred the following ship, she says enthusiastically. And then they do that and it is great. Three bug fighters go down. The Andalite goes after the last bug fighter and like waves his ship at them. Uh, and acts as good hunting brother, which is like, it was a whole amazing passage, <laughs> but I was so, so proud great. of Tobias. Great job. There was this whole arc of Aldrea coming to recognize Jake's leadership while they're in space. They're, they're flying to the planet and they're having this argument like back and forth, back and forth. Tobias is in the middle of saying something and Jake says, okay, discussion over. Tobias fell silent in mid-word. I could feel Aldrea's incredulity at being silenced by what she saw as an alien youth. We have to be a team here, Jake said in a voice so quiet it forced everyone to lean forward and listen. He's like, we'll be advised by Quatha, Geniven, and Aldrea. We'll always listen to Toby, but this is an anamorph mission. Meaning that you are in charge, Aldrea demanded, almost laughing. That's exactly what I mean, Jake said. And Aldrea leaves that like really skeptical. And then she says that he'll be her prince, though, right? Yeah, but does she mean it? (laughs) 
I see. I also thought that was going to come back in the end. I is just thinking well, about it this. It kind of resolves in the next scene with like the the fighter. Battle. Right, right, right. But I think so. She I, she has some great reflection about Jake later. Do you do you have that in a note when she's like so I, the yeah. animorphs? They're like there are a bunch of kids. You know, maybe Jake's okay. But that, she said the, <laughs> what she says Jake is really funny. Jake had performed performed it adequately, performed impressively, impressively. And she but she has this other great thing. Axe is like, oh, we disabled this Andalite, and now we fought our safe passage with his life. And and Marco's like, we just keep flying, we're home free. And one by one, we looked at Jake. Nah, I don't think so, he said. <laughs> Marco smiles. I had a premonition you'd say that. And then he leads them in this whole thing. And when they're celebrating, he says, yes, good work. We may have just alerted the Yurks, made things harder, so take five seconds to celebrate, then get ready to land. Be ready for battle morphs if needed. Cassie, I believe I like your boyfriend, Aldrea said. <laughs> so, while so <laughs> it is great that she respects Jake for his intelligence, I also think there's a lot of emotional bleed-through of Cassie's <laughs> having the hots for Jake. It's, it's no wonder that Aldrea comes around. Also, I would have loved, I would have loved it if, at the end, Jake comes over and is like, Aldrea, it's time for you to leave. Like, you said you'd do it for me. And Andre's like, it's true. Like, Jake's ordering me to leave you, Cassie. I guess I have to go. Okay, but she took Jake as her prince, which is a very Andalite thing, which isn't, it would be weird if her last thing, the last thing that she did was, like, affirming her Andalite identity, which isn't I, she, I agree. I agree. Wants. So, during the space battle, we get a little OT3 moment. Yeah, guys, we do. You guys catch it? Yes, I did. <laughs> it was so good. So Axis turned off the gravity so he can have more power to for the one remaining engine or something. And so they all like kind of get thrown across the ship and then they get thrown back. Marco landed sprawled all over me. He put his finger to his lips. Shh, don't tell Jake. You know how jealous he is. Just part of their dynamic. So just filing that away. Yep, yeah. yep. Okay. okay. I just I have to pitch something now. Aldrea seems like the kind of girl that Marco would be into. Okay. All right. Yeah. Kind of, kind I think there's potential would for on him. an OT4. <laughs> Just one of them is a brain ghost. <laughs> Jake can date Cassie. Marco can date Aldrea. Marco wants to Marco date Marco can date Jake. Okay. Yeah, it's like Rachel's personality, but also an Andalite. So it's the stuff that he likes about Axe. Mm-hmm. But also part Cassie. <laughs> I'm not sure that Aldrea and Jake have a lot in common, but Aldrea also <laughs> likes Jake. So they can bond over that. You know, if if only she hadn't put her back in the vial. What a tragedy. Should we talk about Aldrea's identity? It's... Yes. So she's very, very definite in this book about how she's a Horkajir, and Axe really challenges her on it. Axe makes the point that, like, maybe you could pass for a Horkajir seer, but, like, Horkajir aren't, like, they don't have, like, minds like yours. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm a Horkajir. And... It takes place entirely out of the context of, like, transgender stuff, but it definitely was, like, felt like it was echoing that to mm-hmm. me. And But it's, I mean, it's about species, which is not an option that we have. Um, I actually thought it was uh, more, well, because, of course, I thought this because, whatever, I have one theme, but I actually thought it was more um, the family you choose. Ooh. Oh, yeah, Okay. I like she, that. You know, she she was born an Andalite, and mm-hmm. she deliberately distanced herself from their actions mm-hmm. to choose the family that yeah. better reflected. Because I think that's why the all the species essentialism bumped me out in the yeah. series, right? Because yeah. 
that's at least the story that the book should be telling, yeah. right? Like people's identity identities do matter, but like being an Andalite isn't being an Andalite is being a, right. It's not all. Yeah. It's not all the same, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point. That it, there's a lot of species essentialism throughout, but this book in particular is like here is how all Andalites are. I'm like what? We know that's not true. You like the the people saying that. No, it's not true. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. met Elfingor. Like it just. It there was a lot. There were a lot of moments where it was one or the other of them saying, "This is how all of this species is." And you I would have. I would have loved Aldrea to instead of having gone from "I'm an Andalite, Andalites are awesome" to "I'm a Harpagier, Harpagier are awesome," to be like like if she showed some growth in this area as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of just now that I've turned on Andalites, I'm also going to be like, yeah, Andalites are terrible. You know, Mm -hmm. this new axe guy is really arrogant. (laughs) Well, he is really dreadful to her. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair. But it's sort of like he has her number, too. Like she's she's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But he's like giving her all sorts of crap for like, you know, ah, yes, this technology that the Yurk stole from the Andalites and who allowed them to steal that technology? She's like, yeah, it was my dad. I know. It wasn't even something she did. Like, it's not really fair for him to beat her up over that. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, I think think what you're saying about the, like, trans metaphor versus the cross-species thing is interesting because of the way that brains work in the Animorphs, where there is this kind of, like, universal person, and it mm-hmm. seems like you can switch around between all sorts of different species in a way that where the brains kind of, like, map onto each other and it's all fine. Mm-hmm. There's some interesting stuff here where Aldrea's brain ghost takes a while to, like, be able to process oh, visual yeah. signals yeah. coming into Cassie's brain, which is, like, a nod towards, like, real science instead of just, <laughs> like, we can transplant memories into something else, mm-hmm. right? But, like... There should be a lot more difference between the brains of different species than like Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. the brains of differently sexed humans, right? So it's interesting that you can kind of explore it with this. But it's also, that's the thing we've pointed out is like, yeah, that works great in a sci-fi context, but then it's hard to see that without it being a metaphor. And then when you start making it a metaphor, it's deeply problematic because then you're like, oh yeah, Yeah. different races, their brains just fundamentally work differently. It's a really tough thing to... To navigate and you kind of do want to do the thing that is actually true of humanity we're like yes but like we have this core similarity that like transcends all of this and with other species you're right that it could just not really be true like they could actually be extremely different yeah but that right that's why the cultural stuff in the series is weak but the fact that it's not super hard sci-fi about i kind of like the universal as silly as it is mm-hmm. the universality of the people in the animorphs world mm-hmm. makes the themes better yeah. I kind of wanted to mention, like, this thing where Aldrea sees herself as a different species, like, it does read a little bit like a trans metaphor, but it, it is more similar to seeing yourself as a different race than the one you were born into, which is, like, not a thing in our society at all, but is accepted even a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. And, of course, we do not have the physical ability to become a different race. And so pretending that you could do that is is not really okay. But like what she has done in turning herself into a member of this race that was really screwed over, or species, there are different species, so it is different, but the species that was very, really screwed over by her own species has some parallels to people who are like, no, I just really see myself as not white, even though they are white. And I wonder, is like, is it disturbing in similar ways? 
I mean, I would certainly have a problem with a white person who's like, no, I just, I just want to be part of black culture. Like, I just feel black or whatever. I am black. Like, Rachel Dolezal. Yes, that's who I was thinking of. Thank you. I was like, who is that person who did this? Do we feel like what Aldrea is doing is that? Like, she is actually able to change her body. But if someone is able to change their body to pass for a different race, like, is that sort of the same thing? There isn't the same history of institutional, like, violence and oppression between Andalites and Harkvajir. But the Andalites did kind of screw over the Harkvajir. But, like, if Rachel Dolezal could morph into a black woman, would you be okay with that? Like, the Animorphs... Yeah, is that the difference? Well, I'm just, like, like, because... Race is, is mostly socially constructed. Yeah. So, like, in Animorphs' world, you you actually could do that mm-hmm. in the way that Aldrea actually can become a yeah. Horkvajir. But right? I think so, also Rachel Dolezal was passing as a black woman. So, I mean, she's still, like, her body was still her own. So maybe, it, like, the fact that she didn't actually turn into a black person, maybe that makes a difference. Maybe it's that they're different races and not different species. And I think the the socially constructed aspect of it is really important, yeah. too, because I was just trying to think of how does that apply then to, because race is socially constructed, black people who could pass as white were able to move into a different kind of society um, and experience less racism because of that. And so one of the reasons that the Rachel Dolezal thing was such a bizarre chapter in our American history is mm-hmm. it was very much... She was taking advantage of the privileges of a white person, but also appropriating this aspect of our culture that wasn't hers. And so it's like, it's just a weird mix of things. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how well it maps onto morphing into a different species. It probably doesn't all that well. Yeah, It's one of those things that would be a lot more interesting. There's a lot of potential for the books to tackle this issue on Earth and not with their weird Vietnam War analogy. (laughs) Yeah, good point. It's also, I mean, I also think that it's expecting a lot of a middle grade series to have that as a... And also 20 years ago when this, it wasn't as much a part of the conversation as it is now. Like, you know, the Rachel Dolezal thing hadn't happened. And and of course you always run into the thing where you're like, well, in sci-fi this works fine. Then if you try to translate it to human culture, it's like you can't actually make it a metaphor for anything. I do have a thought about this isn't exactly related to the species essentialism, but it's part of that same conversation where Axe is like, you are this and this and this. You are an Andalite. And then... <laughs> this is so funny. Uh, I do not know you, Aldrea Iskillian Fallon, but I know of you. You are highly intelligent, emotionally self-controlled, capable of lying and manipulation for your own ends. You are also fundamentally peaceful, moral, courageous, and capable of self-sacrifice. You are, in short, an Andalite, not a Horkbajir. Uh, and Rachel says, you could have been describing a human. Now add in arrogant and humorless, and then you have an Andalite. Okay, my note on this, Whoa. this is Marco's line. Yes. <laughs> that is, and it's also Rachel said brightly, that is not a Rachel modifier. That is a Marco modifier. Yep. This is Marco's line. Yep. I'm pretty sure that in editing, someone was like, Marco has too many jokes in this book, and no one else has any. We need to give this line to Rachel. But it didn't work. It's still a Marco line. Yep, good, good point. Call. I feel very strongly about this. There. Just there's actually one more passage where they talk about what it means to be human versus antelite. There's a sense that that there are specific adjectives that only apply to those species as a whole. And yet, as we mentioned, we have seen that that is not accurate. That in fact, each species is comprised of individuals 
who may have some, all, or none of those particular modifiers. And it seems weird to me that we are not kind of taking that into account. They say something similar at the end when they're talking about war. Axe and Aldrea somehow have, you know, come to peace for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> he was just really impressed that she remembered the code to unlock the ship. Yeah, the over. numerical <laughs> code that has no numbers in it, that code. That's so weird. Yeah, it was weird. Okay. Mother loves zero. I specifically remember that code. I remember that code and Cassie morphing into the whale with wings. That's what I remember from this book. Both of which make no sense <laughs> whatsoever. Cool. So, uh, Axe says, they regret doing what they know they must. They have an almost Andalite sensibility. Aldrea says, I was going to say they remind <laughs> us of our Hordbajir warriors who never forgave themselves for learning to kill. Let us agree then that all civilized species must share a hatred of war, Axe and Lily said. It may be the definition of true civilization, I said, and yet we are here to promote another war. The Arn will spawn his new generation of Hordbajir, and thanks to us, they will be armed. So, like, okay, that's a whole fine. We can talk about what they're going to do next. But I think it was interesting that they they still have that essentialism. Although I feel like that conversation was about transcending it. Like, yeah. hey, we all have this thing in common. And isn't that nice? Exactly. Yes. So you said you had a few other things. I have a few random things. Go for it. Do we start with there's some good, um, uh, various good axe things? Yeah, mm. let's talk about the axe things. Well, so, it, yeah, so there's um, when the Arn shows up. And he's like, I only have 412 more days, um, give or take. That's a biological fact. And then Axe says, there are forces other than biology and gives his deadly tail the slightest little twitch. And then in the only the only personality we get from the arm, he says, yes, well, an Andalite, charming as always, and then goes back into his monologuing. <laughs> the Andalites certainly do have a reputation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a great Axe humor moment. You do not have to worry about the lava, Cassie. Axe comforted me. Thanks, Axe, I answered. If you fell, I believe you'd be incinerated before you hit the actual magma, he continued. Sometimes I think hanging around Marco so much has given Axe a totally twisted sense of humor. <laughs> Very unandalite. That is not at all true. I mean, I'm glad he's been hanging around Marco so much, but this is definitely andalite humor here. We've seen this from Axe many times. This is not Marco humor. I also love... Axe and Aldrea keep having the same reaction to things. <laughs> they hate each other so much. <laughs> they're like they get so mad by the fact that they're basically the, like so similar in all the Andalite ways. Mm-hmm. And then they they re- they're so used to being the only Andalite around that they can oh, get away with that so stuff. True. And then it's like, oh shoot, everyone else is gonna see that this is just like a dumb Andalite thing. Oh no, and oh like, gosh. They both have sort of a different species that right. they have become a part of for whatever reason. Yeah, it's so funny. There were a few morphing things. Well, how about the fact that Cassie does the impossible Yeah, I at the end of the book? I don't it's, understand. It's amazing. Cassie is I the best morpher of all time. I don't get it. And I <laughs> want... I, it doesn't make any sense. Yes. You have so given now, me rules. In a science fiction universe, there is a technology, rules. and there are rules, and if you're going to be able to bend the rules, then I'm going to come back to my po- my point for the whole series, which is it's just f***ing magic then. <laughs> well, magic now that, has rules too. Now that she can do this, she can get the best parts from every animal <laughs> and create a, a megamorph for the final battle against Cryak. Finally. They can be a megamorph. I was I like, did. what? 
I did feel like the like the difficulty that she had in doing it like felt like afterwards she was just like completely brain dead like Aldrea had to run the body because like it seemed like it was this is an extreme effort it's not like she can just have squirrel tail and cat ears all the time or something but like yeah it Which, break the rules amazing <laughs> why not <laughs> because it's too difficult Ted too difficult I hope this is one of what those things where Apple like Grant that? here listens to our podcast and then we get um, maybe that's what happens later and I just forgot yeah. yeah. In book 37. That's what happens in book 37. I mean, there is. Great. I need, I'm, I'm looking forward to your prediction about how many more mutant animal morphs we're going to get after this book. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, the last several books, there have been these moments of here's how morphing works in a way that we haven't seen for 30 odd books before that, right? Mm-hmm. Like Marco was somehow able to just shrink, but still be Marco and like, I mean, that, that, I mean, that kind of thing happens all the time. I don't think he did that intentionally. Yeah, but it felt intentional mm. in the way that it was described. It was like, oh, I know how I can get out of this if I just shrink but still have arms. And you're like, but, but you've <clears throat> never been able to control that order before. I don't buy that he actually did that. Not well, I but, agree that he could not do that. Right, but you're getting at the point that we have that has to be said over and over again, which is that if this was the only way their plan could work, they must have assumed it was going to fail because... Oh Why would gosh. you, if, if you're yeah. going to ask, if this is the plan and you're going to ask Cassie to do this under pressure, what do, what do you think the odds are, right? The odds are like oh. close to zero, right? So why would they, why would they even come up with this plan? Because it's not like, it's not like they're in this desperate situation and Cassie's like, what if I suddenly sprout wings out of this whale? And then she does it and everyone's like, whoa, that was so crazy. Instead, they're like, okay, let's have this plan. Yeah, this is the that, actual plan. Right. The actual plan is to do something completely plan unprecedented. Plan A failed. Right. It's right. because they have come up with new rules in the last just a couple books about how morphing works. And it is that for some of them, I don't think sometimes, so. I think just here. I think this is the first time we're seeing something that's completely different. Fine. But it's like, we know, we know that Cassie can do these things in this order in a way we've never seen before. We did get bananas. Comment uh, commentators talking about how like we've seen partial morphs before, like Jake. Oh yeah, Jake's wolf voice. Voice in book six, like there's nothing new about Axe going mostly into morph, but then not like stopping before it goes all the way. But this is totally new. Yeah. This is bananas. Well, and the way that it happens is, or one of the, our favorite theories, I think, about how morphing works, and that kind of explains away some of the inconsistencies around what changes and what doesn't, mm-hmm. is that morphing is about just as much what you think is going to happen, right? Like you have you have this pattern in mind that you're sort of like creating and then you're going back to. And uh, if you think of yourself a certain way, that's like you think of yourself as being healed. And so that's why when you go back, you are healed. But it's not necessarily going to change everything about you back to some like initial DNA state or whatever, right? right. This you're has come up completely a- unmarked. Right. Yeah. Right, so like your a, a scar that you had when you were a kid, like might not go away just because you remember it. Yeah, you know that, yeah. that is part of your identity. So, the way it's written here is actually kind of like I. Fi- she she sort of thinks to herself, I, I I'm just holding onto the wings. I'm holding onto the wings, and then she convinces herself that she has finished demorphing. Right, <laughs> so it's actually kind of a cool example of this. Like, if she can just like the concentration is on saying okay, I'm done, and now I'm going to start. It's like yeah. she somehow is able to trick the technology into saying, like, oh, abort, start new morph, right? Like, let's let's go. And it does seem like there's, because it is a technology controlled by your mind, it seems like there's, like, a little bit of space to be able to push it. Like, this is pushing it probably as far as it can be pushed. But in, in book 21, when Marco was almost trapped as a flea, and 
like it was right on that borderline and she was able to like talk him out of it and like get him to focus and concentrate and just push that boundary a little bit. Yeah. And so it seems like the edges are a little, a little blurry. Yeah. Anyway, shouldn't have been part of the <laughs> plan. I'm not a fan. I don't buy it. Hey, minds are really powerful. Well, I don't buy it because what we've seen, because it also, seems to violate some wait, wait, sorry. I'm just remembering, they're like, we need a whale. And then they're like, someone else volunteers. Rachel, if yeah. this is the plan, obviously only Cassie has a chance of succeeding. Rachel, you know you're not going to be able to do this. <laughs> what are they thinking? Yeah, it's no, not good. Yeah, I'm sorry, because they had what, to have had that conversation before they. I just got so upset. But what were you going to say? I think that's exactly right. It's just, it's just unreasonable. There were rules. Now there are no rules, and I, I think there it. are still rules. And there's just more, a little bit. The rules aren't quite as hard and fast at the edges as we All thought right. they are, because the rules control so, the mind. I want to hear. I want to hear about the the future of these weird these weird new kinds of morphs, and I want to hear what other morphing rules you think are going to be broken. I'm, I'm excited, <laughs> but we can say this for your predictions it just at the means end. Means that like we no, but the consistency of the rules makes the the sci-fi premise and the war premise, it gives it stakes, right? So mm -hmm. if you are if you can make the rules inconsistent willy-nilly and make it feel like magic, then it's harder to suspend disbelief in the way that the series wants you to. Also, if there is a body in C-Space, what does that body look like now that part of it had wings <laughs> and now it doesn't and then it did again? Yeah, like it doesn't. If she morphs whale again, is she like a whale, a wing whale? Wing, yeah, <laughs> yeah just, I don't know. You think they store the exact body in C-Space? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just glad that they did highlight that it was exhausting and confusing and then at the end of it she's like, I don't know what I am right now. Do I mm -hmm. have wings? I used to have wings and then I had flippers and now I don't yeah. and I don't know what's going on. I need to take a nap. I was like, that seems fair. I guess I'm realizing as you say this that like, no, I totally buy this. Like I buy that minds are very powerful and the technology has rules, but like if you're talented enough at it, like you can push just the rules just a little bit farther. We're not changing them willy-nilly. It's not magic. Magic also has rules. The rules are more flexible than we thought they are, but only within a small margin. Like she's not going to. I also, I also think it's like the the technology is very new and almost kind of experimental, That's right? So true. I definitely, exactly I definitely buy that. Right, that it's the Andalite's understanding of it is also yeah. limited. Sure, so there might be thirty seconds where you can do more, but it's more difficult, and right. then yeah. you can't right. do more. And people might say like, oh, like maybe the idea of an estrine, someone who's a talented morpher. It's not actually like, uh, and it, maybe people can be trained to be in a, a stream or like to do these kinds of things. And it's not really something inherent to Cassie, right? She's got like the knack for the technology, but it's just like a skill. I don't Cassie know. is the beta release. <laughs> I wanted to mention this, this comment of Aldrea's when she's like, no, this is a bad plan, the whale thing. She's like, this is not how morphing powers are used. Let's take our time, raid the Yerks, take weapons, perhaps capture some Horkvajir and starve the Yerks out of them. Then, when we have an army, and they're like, no, no, this, we do this stuff all the time. This is mm -hmm. our plan. And it was a really interesting take on, like, okay, what the Animorphs do with their morphing powers is not... I mean, I guess Aldrea hasn't been around the Andalite Empire recently. Andalites don't have an empire, do they? She hasn't been around Andalite. Oh, they definitely Andalite have definitely an empire. empire. She hasn't been around the Andalite military recently. I, do they occupy other worlds? Yes. Mm -hmm. Which ones? I don't the know. The Yerk home world, the Horkvajir well, home world. Well, they aren't occupying the Horkvajir home world. Anymore, but they did. They never occupied it. I don't know. I don't buy it. They were fighting the Yerks on it. They weren't occupying it. The they, I'm world, I think that they have, it's hard, it's hard with like, are they, if they're not colonizing planets or whatever, but I yeah. suspect that they have an imperial presence in space, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, you're not okay. crossing through yes. Andalite space without, 
you know, coming into the Andalite Empire. So like maybe maybe they are <laughs> they consider themselves above being colonialists and going down onto planets. But Sira went down to the Yurks, went down to the Horkpajir, right? They are yeah. they are why wouldn't Ciro why wouldn't they have colonies? Colonizing the Horkpajir. He was just living a little home and studying them, which is, you know, still you know, has its own problems, but like that's not empire territory. I think I think he but, was the first wave. <laughs> isn't that what he was doing to the Yurks though? Yeah. Because I think the only reason he's not colonizing the Harkbajir is because he considers them animals and not people. Yeah. Sort of pulling them into an Andalite like federation or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I I just thought this was like a nice reflection on how the Animorphs are using morphing in a way that it's not being used in the rest yeah. of the Andalite military. And that yeah, they're they're very right. resourceful with And the because powers. the right, the the Yeah, that's such a good point. Like the Andalites are too arrogant and self-important about tail fighting <laughs> to understand the potential of this technology. Mm-hmm. Even Aldrea was like, girls rule, morphing rules, yeah. boys suck, tail fighting sucks, yeah. back <laughs> in the Chronicles. Yeah, I mean, my note there was just, wasn't. This wasn't how morphing powers are used, but right. now it is, because yeah. you have mm-hmm. the six mm-hmm. best morphers mm-hmm. in the universe. Yeah, definitely most experienced, yeah. Speaking of Andalites, so they see this carving on the tree, in one of Toby's actual moments of speaking, she says, the Horkbajir symbol for undying love. It sounds as if it contains the Andalite letters A and D as well. I was like, how does Toby know Andalite letters? So there are a few possibilities. Okay. So maybe when she received the story that like this like intense oral history that gets passed down that like seems to actually contain the memories and not just like the people repeating a story. Somehow she got some of Aldrea's knowledge of Andalite writing. Maybe Axe taught it to her? Who knows? Axe mm-hmm. just like lives in the woods. Maybe he goes to visit the Harkadir. But um, Toby and Axe don't get along. So like, Do they not? They, they had a little bit of a back and forth okay. over Aldrea earlier. Yeah, well, maybe they used to get along before this came up. I don't know. Right, that's true. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and Axe does recognize Tobias's Andalite heritage. He probably recognizes Toby's Andalite heritage as well. And um, and also, maybe the Elemist has just been coming to give Toby some writing lessons. Sure, fine. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Aldrea taught Toby to write on the ship when they weren't really talking. What did you guys think of um, Cassie's meditation on love in the beginning? Oh, I forgot. Let me find it. Because she's, I, I just, I love how she's like, she hasn't told, she hasn't explained the plan to Rachel until she's like, okay, I guess I have to tell Rachel now. Rachel, I drew Cassie loves Jake. Or she says, there's a doodle on it. And Rachel's yeah. like, the one that says, Cassie loves Jake. And then Cassie's like, don't say anything about it. And just like, fine, I won't, except, you know, I love You're my dude. best friend, so not one word, especially not, aw, isn't that sweet? And definitely not, Cassie is in love, Cassie is in love. And no way I'd ever say, I knew I should have done this alone, Cassie says. <laughs> my favorite thing about this whole scene is that, so Rachel's like, uh, this plan of yours is insane, um, as she's turning into a cat to break <laughs> into the math teacher's house to steal something out of the papers the math teacher is grading. Yes. And Cassie says to her, before Rachel knows what they're stealing, she uh-huh. says to her, we have to do this. It's life and death. <laughs> <laughs> you have actual life and death You're moments every book. Get yes. your priorities straight. Uh, I, mean, I think Rachel understood that it wasn't actually life and death. It was not. I do. I just. 
I, I love I love this. I love the, the return of the opening of the books. I think. <laughs> and like the math teacher must get Oh the math, math teacher does doodles care. all the time. No. Does love turning my brain to mush or what? I wondered if Jake ever did stupid stuff because he was daydreaming about me. We never talked about things like that. We never even used the L word to each other. That's what Rachel calls it, the L word. But even though he never said it out loud, I knew that Jake loved me. And I knew Jake knew I loved him, even though I'd never said it out loud either. That was totally clear when we kissed. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. This is great. It's really good. Yes. Even though we don't walk- <laughs> Even though we don't walk around groping each other like some couples, we have kissed a few times. So it's happened more than that time in 26. But uh, but in what kinds of situations, usually, Jenny? right after we've managed to survive something horrible, it's usually an I can't believe we're alive kiss. Not that I'm complaining. Well, not exactly. I have to admit it would be nice to kiss Jake after a movie instead of after a battle or some other near-death experience. Just, I'm, <laughs> poor kid. I'm just so <laughs> glad I'm not a teenager anymore. Because every time we read these books and there's some passage like this, I'm like... <laughs> God, that was so exhausting. I'm tired just reading about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad for them. <laughs> like, oh, even even after this, they can't just be like, there's no reason they can't go on dates. They don't have it's like Tobias's bird issues, right? Like, come on. I know. Just kiss the boy if you want to. <laughs> I have funny things, things that would not make any sense to teenagers and and 90s references. There were some good, some of the, the moments that I really liked the writing were, again, kind of the, the scarier bits, but mm. especially when Aldrea is first summoned. Mm. Um, they have the, now I have to say it, crap. <laughs> Quaffigen Ivan uh, has this whole like ritual of, does he call it the ritual of rebirth? Is that what yeah. it's called? It's called, the, <laughs> I can't it's call it. it, it's on the top of my notes, I'm going to find it. It's called the Adafoxical. Uh-huh. The Ceremony of Rebirth. That's what it is. <laughs> Obviously sure, from Ada meaning ceremony and... Fall meaning of. And Sickle meaning rebirth. That would explain why the Ixilla and Ixicle are so closely related. Right, the rebirth, yeah. Yeah, so he he says we call on Aldrea, Iskillian, Falan, and he's got this vial with a green fluorescent liquid in it that Marco says, isn't that like... Nuclear waste. <laughs> nuclear waste. So that's what it looks like. Um, but And then he... Uh, the Arn pulls out a piece of metal, and Cassie says, it must have been some kind of catalyst, because the instant he dropped it into the vial, the liquid turned from green to a fluorescent scarlet. Its light washed over those closest to it. Rachel's fair skin appeared to have been drenched in blood. Toby's green flesh had darkened until it was almost black. Quaffigen Ivan added another piece of metal to the vial. We call on Aldrea, Iskillian Falan, he repeated. Paging Stephen King, Marco said quietly. <laughs> R.L. Stein calling Stephen King with a message from Anne Rice. Um, but I love that whole bit. And I also really like the bit where, so for a while, Cassie is relaying Aldrea's messages and Aldrea is having trouble understanding how to un- understand Cassie's brain mm-hmm. and like senses and stuff. And then Cassie's like, do you think that you could just talk? Like, why don't you just take over and start talking? And then there's this like, you know, Aldrea's, well, I guess Aldrea asks, like, let me just use your speech centers. They refer to it. And then Cassie feels a tickling sensation in her throat. My tongue gave a twitch and I let out something that sounded way too much like a pig grunting. <laughs> Cassie, you okay? Rachel asked. I couldn't answer her. Aldrea had my teeth locked together. I held up both hands and nodded, trying to show everyone I was okay. My hands were still mine, at least. Uh, I could feel little specks of spit flicking down onto my chin. I expected to at least get a say it, don't spray it out of Marco, but he stayed quiet. 
it's obviously so scary that Marco isn't even joking about it. Mm-hmm. And I really like it. And imagine being Cassie's friends. You're like, we think Cassie's talking right now, but is Cassie talking right now? Yeah, actually, it has that kind of controller yeah, thing. Yeah, because we know every time Cassie is talking or Aldrea is talking through the narration, but they don't know. <laughs> I would be interested, like, if this were in some sort of, like, TV show adaptation, like, to see how the actor playing Cassie mm. would, like, portray, I'm Cassie now, I'm Aldrea now, mm-hmm. I'm Cassie speaking. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, the other thing is morphing is apparently unbearable if you're not in control. I was wondering what you thought about that, Gray. I really liked that passage. (laughs) Did you? I did, because I like the passages where the book feels the same way about morphing (laughs) as I do. Yeah, yeah. So in this one, um, Aldrea is trying to control the morph into Wolf, and Cassie realizes that she needs to just kind of give control up, including even control of her own breath. Because when she's trying to control even a little bit, the morph doesn't work properly. Uh, She says, the changes began again. The bones in my legs cracked as the joints reversed direction. The skin on my arms itched as coarse hair popped through it. Morphing has always been creepy. This time it was terrifying. Each sensation felt magnified by a hundred. I wanted to scream as I felt my intestines shift and my ribs contract. And she's like trying to imagine this as a movie. And even that doesn't really work because it's so creepy and hard to do. And I was like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, no, I thought this book was was pretty well written in terms of the prose. I, yeah. I yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. The, the plotting was really subpar mm-hmm. in the character stuff. It does have, I think, my favorite joke in the series so far. Yeah? Which is a joke that surely no middle grader would have found funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marco has a paper due uh, the next day <laughs> on a great figure from American history. I love Eric so much. And he much. is asking the chi, he's asking <clears throat> Eric, if the chi playing Marco can please write the paper. <laughs> and Eric suggests, how about Franklin Roosevelt? I was the White House butler during his administration. I was the one who came up with the phrase New Deal. Of course, it was during a poker game. End of the chapter. <laughs> no explanation. Okay. And I was like, that <laughs> guy, great joke. Who got that joke as a 10-year-old? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I got that joke. I was 14 at this point. But hilarious. I am convinced now that, you know, when we were talking about, like, wow, how did Eric actually know all those famous historical figures? He did not. He's trolling them. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, 100%. Yeah, he definitely didn't know Moses. Didn't know, who else did he say he knew? Beethoven. 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 Didn't, didn't know Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Oh, right. That's true. He's not a teenager. He's a grown, he's a grown-ass android who has to deal with these stupid teens all the time. He has an incredible, incredibly thoroughly detailed understanding of history. So, of course. Oh, my God. I like that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, And then, you know, one of of those androids has to ask out Marco's crush. (laughs) Yeah. Eric's response is so good. He's like, okay, Marco, we're definitely doing this. And the person impersonating you, then he's going to work his full-time restaurant job, your love life comes first and Marco's like as long as we have our priorities straight <laughs> how is the chi who plays Marco also holding down a regular full-time job as a restaurant manager well it's uh, cleaning Marco's room do, does night shifts okay <laughs> it's a chi owned restaurant he can get some new way um other things that it's, this this book had some of the best vocabulary I've seen there was a ton of really good words that I like breakating came back oh, yep yep uh, in Kuwait. Oh, yeah. It's like 
I love that word, but how do <laughs> middle graders know that word? Middle graders know that word. They might not have, know how to pronounce it, but so good. And choked. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there, there are just a few places like that where it's like, oh, okay. This is like, this is a good vocabulary book. We learned that Cassie is now five feet tall. She's so grown. either she has grown since 24, or when she unshrank herself, she let it go a little bit longer. Yes. So maybe Marco is also five feet tall now. Jake likes chirpy. <laughs> Marco is relieved to hear it. Do I do our 90s references? Because there were some really good ones. In yeah, those. go for it. Go I for really it. I really liked the paging Stephen King, R.L. Stein calling Stephen King with a message from Anne Rice. That is hilarious. I know. What what good. So and, good. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. My favorite one. Can we talk about the Star Wars? Go for it. So good. <laughs> Rachel wonders why Arn is on Earth. And Marco says he had to come. Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, isn't coming out on DVD there for like two years. He buys a bunch of copies here, takes them home, makes a fortune. Good grief, Marco, you live science fiction. Why do you want to watch science fiction? Don't be dissing TPM, Marco said. <laughs> cool is cool. Okay, he is incorrect. Does this mean that Marco actually has terrible taste Marco in movies? Marco has terrible taste in movies. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I was thinking about this. I'm not sure that everyone was as down on Phantom Menace mm. at the time it came okay. out. I maybe, think that... Yeah. Listen, maybe this I, is a very 90s reference because they hadn't yet realized how far the trilogy would fall. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I saw it at midnight when it came out, and even then I was like... There are some logical inconsistencies with the rest of this series, but you do you, man. I, I don't remember very strongly my reaction to seeing Phantom Menace, but I think it soured over time because mm -hmm. as someone who absolutely loved everything Star Wars, my expectations were like so high for the movie that I could celebrate the good things and mm -hmm. pretend like the bad things didn't exist really and, or would get improved. Momentum of, right. Yeah. So I would like to think that Marco, like me, as he matures, as a person, would come to realize that TPM, <laughs> as he calls it, is not cool, no matter what. So I, I think I don't I don't feel that I can be that hard on him for this opinion. Fair but yeah. he is one hundred percent wrong. Yeah, he later I, says during the space battle, uh, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, take that, George Lucas." <laughs> I like to imagine he's constantly just comparing his life to Star Wars and being like, "Is is it cooler yet? Is it?" So in the very first paragraph. We get Cassie's introduction. She's like, I'm not really cool enough to pull off one name. I know I'm not Jewel or Brandy or Beth. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> who, 90s. Who so would good. Be, who would be the references today? The one name references. Kesha. Oh, yeah. Beyonce? Beyonce. Definitely Beyonce. So we get a comparison of Rachel. You should see Rachel. She's like Stone Cold Steve Austin crossed with Miss T. <gasps> I love this so much. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin has been on my mind a lot since The Good Place started coming out a few years ago. Because oh. Kristen Bell's character has a huge crush on Stone Cold I Steve Austin and always refers to him with his full sobriquet. So. <laughs> I, I did look up his years, and according to Wikipedia, he enjoyed a successful career as stunning Steve Austin in World Championship Wrestling from 1991 to 1995. Very topical. When did he become Stone Cold? I don't know. I guess after that? I interesting yeah uh we got cassie introducing a bunch of paragraphs with fact and i was like the office hasn't come out yet this isn't this isn't a dwight shoot thing yet. but i he really ruined it but i love one of the facts the fact where it's like someone you know is already a controller <gasps> and like this is the kind of thing that i it's and not gray come on <laughs> oh my god you're both controllers oh no <laughs> <laughs> it's all right <laughs> 
<laughs> You'll never get the yerk out of my brain where it's tied up in wires and under my control. So rude. You chi. Such hypocrites. I know. But I always loved being able to imagine that these books were real. Oh, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And like when it gets really in your face about it, like think so about your life know. and yep. all the controllers out there and you'd be like, oh no, how am I going to survive? Like Don't want to go to the young pool. The, the Goodreads letter is like, right. this fear will not go away. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much all I had on this one. I think I might have had... Wait, hold on. Oh, here's... <laughs> after Marco gets the Aldrea's number a little bit, he says... He can't get her number. He can't talk to girls. <laughs> he's like, I don't see why we couldn't have gone Z-Space the whole way, Marco whined. <laughs> Axe and Aldrea both laughed. Then they realized they were both laughing at the same thing, and they both stopped laughing. <laughs> and then Marco's like... Just say it. I'm but a poor earth man, unable to understand the ways of the superior <laughs> Andalite beings. It's so good. Marco is the best. He was really great in this book. He yeah. was very, very good in this book. So. Speaking of Marco, should we talk about number 35, The Proposal? Are we ready for the next one? I, yes. I don't know. Are we ready? You're going to love this cover. It's really, really good pictures. I guess I'll look at this cover. Why? Because <laughs> you agreed to this a year ago. These are the decisions you've made with your life. Uh, okay, this is a Marco book. It is called The Proposal. Marco is turning into a poodle. Uh, this poodle has ribbons uh, <laughs> tied around its fluffy ears, which I can't imagine. Do you think he with the ribbons? I think he does. Wow. And I can't imagine Marco appreciates that, uh, not least because the ribbon appears in the third picture on the cover <laughs> when he's still mostly human with like, a dog face. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, the subtext thing is uh, what's on your mind, which is not useful and the inside cover is the poodle sitting up on its hind legs begging in a movie like a a, a new studio of some kind some kind of television TV studio thing. yeah uh, and the dog is being menaced by a shadowy man who's like reaching out for him yeah. so well here's where we get the double wedding proposal and oh my god! Get gosh. the proposal out of the way early, and then they can plan their wedding. For There's the next been a lot of books. talk about love, both exactly. Yeah, it's and time. you know, I don't know if you've looked ahead to the the upcoming titles, um, but they have like the venue, sure, um, <laughs> the guest list, the engagement, the, right. chart, the, the caterer, yeah, all of those things. Yeah, so I I assume that's what's happening the in this book. Um, the budget. That's a good one. The budget. The budget yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. It's always difficult. <laughs> it's like Jake morphing into Jake with his pockets turned out. <laughs> oh, yeah. How are they going to pay? I mean, their parents will have to pay for these weddings. They're they're like 14. They don't yeah, have jobs. Assume, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Cassie and Rachel's parents will pay because presumably it's going to be the more traditional <clears throat> style. Okay, but if it's if it, if this is when the proposal happened, why is it a Marco book? <laughs> Well, Does he orchestrate the proposal? He's the only one who isn't part of a proposal. So, <laughs> wait, he's so like, far. <laughs> which one? Wait, so yeah, how is Axe involved? Okay. Well, maybe Axe. Well, no, it's, this is, it's a triple wedding, not a double. So it's also Marco's proposal to Axe. Oh, okay. Wow. They're that's, really a, that's a long ahead. emotional journey for Marco to take in this book. <laughs> yeah, Getting over Jake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe <gasps> he proposes to, to Axe because he's so upset that Jake gets engaged to Cassie. Maybe he go. proposes to Jake and <gasps> Jake says no. <gasps> no. Oh, dreadful. This is going to be a really I can't believe we're spoiling it for her. Sorry, sorry, Greg. Keep predicting. 
How does the poodle come in? Um, Is it the ring bear? So, no, Rachel's the ring bear. Um, <laughs> okay. Does Tobias get her a ring big enough to go on her grizzly paw? Does he steal it from a jewelry store? Yes, but then she always has to carry it actually on a, like, a lanyard because mm-hmm. it falls off mirror fingers when she goes oh, back to human. Oh, that'd be oh, right, so cute right. if they morphed with like a little, you know, wedding ring type thing, but yeah. then so like <laughs> they always had it on. That'd be so cute. That's what's going to happen. And the television studio, uh, so Marco gets a new morph. I don't think he has a dog. And this isn't... He does have a dog? Yeah, he does. From book 10? Because he thought girls would be into it? Oh, right. But it's like an Irish setter or Yeah, something? it's, a, it's a, an Irish setter. It's not a poodle. It's not a poodle. And it's not Homer. So, okay, so he gets a new dog morph for some reason, maybe to get girls, uh, or maybe because this dog apparently does tricks, and Marco is trying to get some attention by being this incredibly um, skilled dog and getting on TV in his dog morph. So oh. are the Yerks involved, or does Marco just want to be on TV? Also, the Yerks are involved, but it's <laughs> like a, it's another like infiltrating the sharing kind of they have to do missions to infiltrate the sharing, but the real emotional arc is Marco needs attention. Mm-hmm. And do you want to guess about what the title means other than... Wait, I have a question about the poodle. If the poodle has a name, what is it? I think this is guessable. What? No? Am I misremembering the poodle's name? I mean, name? I would never have guessed this name for the poodle, but it's not completely impossible that you would guess it. Uh, is it going to be something like Fido or... It's not a poodle name. <laughs> exactly. Fluffy or um Fluffer's McDoggy. Its name is Georgette. Georgette. That's a good poodle name. Nice, yeah. It is the name of the poodle in Oliver and Company. Ah, Disney movie. Perfect. Well that's probably what she was named after. Yeah, which is from nineteen eighty eight, so mm. perfect. Maybe they watched it when they were kids. I don't know. Yeah. Uh okay, and the actual proposal um, Oh no, I was thinking of a different kind of name. Yeah, this is this would have been. Yeah, hard to guess. it's not guessable really. Oh good. <clears throat> Except that you did somehow. Obviously, so. I got, I got, I got <laughs> it. One, uh, uh, it's it's going to be something like they propose the the one of the animals joins the sharing, something like that. It's going to be one of those like <laughs> like the prophecy, like the yeah. prophecy. Okay, so I want to hear more about morphing rules. <laughs> are we going to get more wing whales and things of that type, and or are we going? Are there other rules that are going to be broken in mm-hmm. the next few books? Okay, uh, we are going to get more wing whales, but only from Cassie, who has now learned that she can do oh, whatever, apparently. And the other rules, they're, <laughs> they're going to take from that lesson um, the ability to, and combine that with the frolic maneuver? Thank you. With the frolic maneuver. Thank you for knowing what I was going to say. <laughs> and uh, they're going to start combining DNA from different animals and finally give me oh, my centaurs and other unicorns, you know, unicorns and hydras and so on uh, that I've always Solid. Solid. What if Cassie's the only one who's good at it and so the rest of them, you know, try to merge like a horse and a rhino and just end up with like a really like bulky horse or something. Also <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> it's like the, uh, the Cybertruck. Have you guys seen that? No, what? The Elon Musk like sport oh. utility vehicle that looks it's like not a cartoon. A truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just imagining like a horse, so a bulky, like pixelated horse. Yeah. This is like chunky. It's exactly gonna be like that. Yes. Um, oh. Yeah, I mean, I, I know one of the <clears throat> upcoming titles in amongst the RSVPs and the budget and so on is the Chimera. So yeah. <laughs> we're in that direction. Cool. The bridesmaid. That's the, That's the marker book. book. <laughs> 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 
If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the books on our website. There's going to be either a lot of stuff cut or a lot of drinking this episode. (laughs) Why not both? (laughs) It's problematic.